Andy cue us up here. Here we go. <clears throat> um, so you receive reports about annual conference now. Feel free to go to Jared, Pastor Stephanie, or I. Um, JC was there for a little bit of it, and Kayleen, and so there's some others that can fill you in. If you'd like to next year, feel free to drive up and just be there, um, sit in on this stuff, because it is exciting. Uh, as we were coming back from our really quick trip to Africa this year, uh, I was thinking about what to share with you, and um, I was praying uh, because there were things I didn't want to say, I didn't want to tell you about. Uh, I'd like to be able to come back from a trip to Africa and tell you, man, we did amazing things, and then we did. But there was just a, a certain amount of frustration in this trip. And, I, and the Lord just said, you know what, be honest and you need to share these things with God's people. Because um, in your life and in my life here in Wichita, there's a certain amount of frustration, isn't there? There's a certain amount of uh, friction of things not going the way we want them to go. And so uh, I want to share with you beginning with this passage from Revelation chapter 22. Actually, this is part of the lectionary reading for today. And you heard uh, J.C. read a part of this during our time of music and scripture. Uh, it's interesting to me, as I was reading the scripture for this morning, that uh, <laughs> the scripture, two of the scriptures refer to rivers with the weather we've had. God has an incredible sense of humor because we've had rivers going down our streets, in our backyard, in our basements, you know, all kinds of things like that. And I, I read this passage in the book of Revelation, and um, there's this imagery of a river and what uh, the New Jerusalem looks like. So in Revelation 22, 1 through 6, John sees this and writes it down. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the, the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street, just like some of our towns right now in this part of the country. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, Everything you've heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. So I want to go back. Um, some of you have probably done Bible studies on the book of Revelation. And the most common uh, understanding, uh, the most widely accepted interpretation of Revelation is that Revelation is coming. It's something that's going to happen. We're not there yet, but this is what it's going to look like, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And, and quite frankly, a lot of the things that we keep in our minds about what's happening prophetically in the book of Revelation, we put it off because we don't understand it, or we don't 
have a good way to apply it to where we're at now. And so we say, well, that's something that's coming down over there. And so we sort of push that back. Um, I think there's some ways that, that there's passages in the book of Revelation that's really helpful because we say that isn't quite what it looks like yet. There are some that take that putting it off interpretation a little bit farther and say none of this is going to happen on earth. It's going to happen later when, you know, when we get called and the rapture takes place and, and the sky opens up and you know, Jesus descends and all these things. And, and, and I have to say that, that that has become really widely accepted as the interpretation of Revelation, at least here in the West. Um, and there are pieces of that that are built on some pretty sketchy things, which is true about interpreting scripture all the time. We, we're subjective and we're, we impose our ideas on these things. But there's another school of interpretation of Revelation that says, you know, these things are already happening. And it's not just about putting it off to way down the road over there when the sky splits and Christ returns, but this, this is something that has commenced already. And so we see where John speaks to seven churches and he names them. They were actual places. They were actual churches. And when he says this is what the Lord sees, he was talking about, I believe, actual circumstances inside their churches. And we have this saying that we got from John in this Revelation where he talks about the church in Laodicea and we use this all the time. He says, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but you're neither and so I'm going to spit you out. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. And I actually think that that was what was going on in this city of Laodicea. And I think the people there were just kind of uh, nonchalant, noncommittal, indifferent about what was going on. And, and the Lord said, John, tell those people that I really don't like what they're doing. And I think it actually applied to that church in Laodicea. But I think we read that and we go, whoa, that might, that might have something to do with me. It might have something to do with the way we Christians are in America today, and we get convicted by that too. So I think it's that and. And so I read about this. This is from part of Revelation where the New Jerusalem is being described. And so I would like to think, uh, if you'll give me a little bit of latitude on here, and maybe departing from the, the broadly accepted interpretation where the new Jerusalem is talking about heaven. That's the broadly interpreted one. That's, this is the way it looks in heaven. But I want to take a little bit of license and say, and maybe ask the question, what if God is working in the world now to bring the world into reconciliation with himself? Because scripture tells us that. He will reconcile all things to himself. He is working to reconcile all things to himself. What if when Jesus taught us to pray and said, on earth as it is in heaven, that was, he actually meant that I want earth to change and look like what it looks like in heaven. And so it's not just a new Jerusalem that's over there that we never get to see in this life, but that there are actual things that can change on earth to look the way God wants them to look here or there or anywhere. And so as I read this, and I read through this, and I, this imagery of a river flowing right through the middle of town, through the middle of the city, and it's not a terrible thing of floods like we've been having, but instead it, it's, it's a river of refreshing 
and nourishment. And, and the river is so life-giving that you have these trees that grow on either side. Tree of life, you remember there's imagery that goes all the way back to the creation story, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so there's just a repetition of that, and we could, you and I can dissect that later if you want. But, and then as it talks about these trees on either side, they bear fruit every month. And we're used to, you know, if you have a fruit tree that's great, you get fruit once a year out of it. So there's this regeneration that happens even more rapidly. And then as I read this, this is what really made me stop as I was reading this because, you know, I grew up with this idea we're going to get to heaven and it's going to be glorious and there's no more weeping and no more sorrow and no more suffering and no more sickness and all this stuff. And, and we look forward to that. We long for that. And yet there's this line here at the end of this passage in this screen the leaves of these trees are used for medicine to heal the nations. And I go, wait, wait, wait a minute. If the New Jerusalem is way off over there and, and everything on earth is done, why do the nations need to heal? Why is that necessary? And, and there are just times when I'm reading scripture where I stub my toe and I have to turn around and go, wait, what was that? And how does that work? And, and, and could it be that, that maybe there will be people who come to heaven with us that still need to heal from the hardship of life on earth? Or could it be that this image is not just there, but it's also here? So we go in and we see... We go on and we see, you know, there's, there's no need for lamp or sun there because the light shines all the time. Um, and I could spend a whole lot more time talking about how can that happen here if the presence of God is with his people, if the Holy Spirit resides in us, the light is always with us. Walk in the light as he is in the light, right? And so there's these pieces where, well, maybe I can say, Lord, I'm not just longing for the day in heaven, but could we also be working for the day on earth? So I'm going to go forward from this. I, I, I would spend a lot more time just dissecting the scripture with you, but I want you to see a few images from what we experienced. Turn the sound up there, Jared. <laughs> So I have long held that when I get to heaven, the music that we'll be playing will sound something like that, at least for me. This is what it sounds like in my head and in my heart. Um, so as I hear these women singing and I watch them walk in coordinated ways that I just cannot do, even though I grew up there, I can't march in step with them and hallelujah, amen, they all clap together. It's amazing to me how choreographed they are and how natural it is. Um, that was at the church in Beta. And by the way, in that room, that Sunday morning, I asked Kayleen this morning, we were kind of guessing. We think there were about 400 people. And um, about a third of the roof was gone. 
You can't see that there, but it was wide open and the birds were flying in. You'll see, uh, you might hear a little bit later in one of the other video clips, you can hear the birds cheeping while we're working and doing clinic. It's kind of interesting. I'm reminded, and, and Jared, I think, or Stephanie alluded to this, that, that God was not only at work over there, but he's at work right now. He's always been at work. And God is at work even when things don't go the way we think they should. And I'm thankful for that because I have some ideas in my head. This is the way it should go. This is the way it should work at Northwest. This is the way it should work in the Free Methodist Church. This is the way it should work in Mozambique. And there are times when it just does not work that way and things go squirrely and seem out of control, but God is never disturbed by those things. And so let that be a word for you and for me, because the Lord had to tell me that, Hank, even though this isn't going the way you had planned and thought and hoped and were sure would be the best, I will use these circumstances. So God was at work, even though we had some very frustrating delays. This is what I was really wondering. How do I share this with you and tell you this story? But through lines of communication that got crossed and changed and went to people that, that didn't understand what was going on. Um, the Bishop's Crisis and Relief Fund released $10,000 for the cyclone relief. I had sent an email, said, please send that to me. I would like to hold $10,000 in my hands. That's not the reason why, but I thought, you know, if I have that, I can take the cash with me and I can go over and we can just get started. Someone in Indianapolis um, said, okay, I'll release the cash and went and looked down a list of accounts and wired the money to an account in Mozambique. I spent three weeks before we left trying to figure out where the money was. And some of you were in on that. Pastor Stephanie was praying because she was here one day during the day in the office and I said, this is just crazy. We don't know where it, we're missing $10,000. Um, JC was a part of this because I was sharing my concern with her. And so, you know, she's our church treasurer, but she's also, anytime I'm frustrated about money, I go to JC and go, can you believe this? There's $10,000, it's gone, and, and we don't have any money now for medicine, for food, for building supplies, all these things. What are we, is it even worth going? And, and then, you know, as the time approached and I talked to Bishop Kendall and I talked to Bishop Moyani in, in Mozambique and they said, well, just go ahead and come. We think we know where the money is. We think it's in South Africa. So I said, okay, I'm landing in South Africa. I'll connect with Bishop Chanza there. It went to the wrong country, we think, and into their account. So we connected and I'm on the phone with Bishop Chanza as soon as we landed. And no, we don't have the money. And so here I am now, I'm on the ground <laughs> And I thought we were just going to go to the bank and pick up the money. Oh, no, we don't, we don't know where this money is. So then another series of phone calls. And come to find out, the money was sent to an account that was closed two years ago to a bank in Maputo who had no interest whatsoever in letting the people in America know, oh, by the way, there's no account to receive this. Did not let our people in Mozambique know, hey, you guys got some money, but you closed this account two years ago. I, I honestly think... I'm not going to tell you the name of the bank because I, I don't want this to spread. But I really think they thought, hey, here's $10,000 if nobody comes and claims that it's ours. Well, we came calling. But it took us a week. Now, some of you know the time frame. We, Kayleen and I and Jordan took two weeks. So we spent the first week looking for money. And it was very frustrating 
And the Lord taught me patience. The Lord gave me words that were not my words. I was wanting to use other words. And that's not the words he wanted me to use. So we had this very frustrating delay. And that wasn't the only delay. But the Lord knew what he was doing. And I'll, I'll share a little bit of that with you. Um, friends of friends housed us this time. They weren't people I knew directly, but we know them now. And we came to them and we said, we need to get into Mozambique, but we don't want to leave South Africa until we know where the money is. Can we just stay with you? And these friends... Um, Maureen and uh, Cedric. We met them for the first time. They said, yes, you can stay at our house. So Jordan and Kayleen and I and Franco stayed at their house. We packed and repacked and we waited and we waited for several days as we were trying. We were making phone calls. Their house is in a place called Marloth Park. It's a, it's a development that is contained inside, a housing development contained inside an animal park. And so... Uh, if you have to be delayed, this is a great place to be delayed. And Jordan was in his element. He loved it. And so we took Jordan out, and in the morning you could walk outside and see animals. That night, our first night there, we cooked, uh, we grilled out, and uh, we're sitting there, and we hear something, and Jordan goes, turns his flashlight on, and he goes, there's a warthog right over there. And so I went and got an apple, and I said, cut it up. And so Jordan fed the warthog, and he loved it. This, he got the authentic African experience with the African animals everywhere. Zebra walk right up to our vehicle and, and um, you know, you're, you're face to face with them. We got out of the vehicle because we were not in Kruger Park. We could do that. And so we were in a beautiful, peaceful, lovely spot for the Lord to go stop. I did not want to Stop. I was sitting here going, I've got two weeks and the clock is ticking and I've got things to do and a long way to go. And the Lord just stopped. And in that, the Lord, I think, used that to speak to Jordan and to I and to Kayleen and tell us, just let me run this. We did finally, one morning, I, the night before, I said, tomorrow we're going in. We're, we're crossing the border. We're going into Mozambique. Because I think until I'm there in person, just over the phone, they'll keep putting me off. Let's go and let's do this in person. So we drove across the border. This is the city of Maputo, the capital city. We went to the, the, the church people. They received us very kindly, graciously, generously received us. And then they said, well, we're missing one signature to get this account reopened and access the money. And, and this pastor's at a funeral. And I said, well, let's get on this. So we did, and we arranged it. But by the time we had his signature, it was late in the day. And so I got on my phone. By the way, Airbnb works in Mozambique. It's amazing. And we found a place, I found a place to stay. We were worried. Mozambique is a very expensive place to, to find lodging. And um, Janice is here. She stayed with us at a seminary. No, you, where, you didn't even stay in Maputo, did you? I, I don't know where I was. I don't know where I was. It, it was Nazarene Seminary. Yeah, we stayed at the Nazarene Seminary because it was cheaper to stay at the seminary than the, ho the hotels are crazy expensive. And I got on Airbnb and there were four of us and I found a place for one night, an apartment for $40. Incredible. To get a place that cheap. And then we went there and this was the view. And we had water on three sides of us because we're right on the point where the harbor comes in. And it, it wasn't the nicest place to stay. It was kind of run down. It was what you kind of expect in Mozambique. But the view was amazing. 
And so we walked out in the evening at night and we could see the lights of the city. And then in the morning we got up. This is what it looked like in the morning, looking out across the city. And, and for me to just look out across that city and to be reminded by the Lord, I love this place. That's the Lord speaking, not Hendrik. I do not love Maputo. Forgive me. It's busy. It is crowded, packed with people. Um, it's a little bit dangerous. But the Lord said, I love this. I love these people. Then we went to the bank, and they said, yes, we found the money. We opened the account, and we have the money for you. And I said, good, let's withdraw all of it. And they go, you'll have to come back tomorrow. Again, I had words that I wanted to use that were not the Lord's words. And the Lord gave me words. And I, I stood there at the counter, and I said to the man who was serving us, I said, we've been waiting a week. And we need to go to Beta to help the people from the cyclone. And I said, I, we, we found a place to stay here last night. If you're saying we have to stay another night, I need to make arrangements. He looked across the counter to me and he goes, wait one moment. And, and as soon as he said that, the, the burden from my heart was just lifted. And it's hard for me to explain. But I turned to Kayleen and I go, he said, wait, he said it in English, wait one moment. And I said, this is going to work. I said to Kayleen, this is going to work. I don't know why I thought that. You know, he could have come back and said, now we've changed our mind. Or, but I, I had this assurance. And sure enough, he came back and he goes, it's going to take us an hour to get 10,000 U.S. converted into Mozambique Metricaish. And I said, we'll go get breakfast and come back. And then as we went to go get breakfast, I started figuring this in my head because the largest note they have is a 1,000 metricaish note, which is worth about $15. I've got to carry $10,000 in cash, and the biggest note is $15 worth. And so I'm sitting here going, <laughs> I'm going to have a backpack full of cash, and I'm going to have a mark on me. And so we, we, we started talking about how do we get the cash to the car and then, you know, and, and, you know, the Lord just worked these things out. They took us into a small room so we could put the cash into the backpack. And, and they pulled up with a car right outside so we could just walk right out and get in the car. There was no delay. And the Lord said, I know what I'm doing. Um, but it was an exercise in waiting. And if there's one place you wait in Mozambique, it's in the car. The traffic is crazy. It's incredible. This is a toll gate. This actually is pretty good. Um, but at Tollgate, you're going to sit there with about 10 cars deep, and you can't see any of them in this picture I, I, I took with my phone, but usually the taxis cut between the lines. So you've got a gate and a gate, and between you have a line of about five or six taxis that are just going to cut you off. Um, but it was waiting, again, waiting, waiting. Um, and then we drove. And another frustrating delay happened because we had car problems, and I'll get to that in a moment. So we had to change vehicles, and we rode in this taxi. Um, we rode in this taxi for 16 hours through the night. Um, for those of you who know cars, this taxi had no rear suspension left. And we rode over one of the worst roads I've ridden on in Mozambique in, a, in about 20 years. And uh, so we're trying to sleep. Uh, and I've got to tell a bit of a story of Jordan. I'm going to tell more about Jordan later. But Jordan was in the back seat, 
And there was a young African man, Mozambican, by the name of Fernando with us, who helped us load and unload. And Fernando sat on the floor when we started. And Jordan very graciously said, hey, Fernando, get up on the seat with me. Don't sit on the floor. And he was very cautious and was uncertain about that, but he sat behind Kayleen and I. And by the time we had driven through the night, I turned around as, as dawn, uh, the, the sun was coming up, and I looked behind me, and Fernando was sprawled all over Jordan, his head on Jordan's shoulder, and I started laughing, and Jordan was awake, and he just nodded his head and smiled. Um, we stopped. This is coming into the outskirts of Beta while we were trying to connect with people and find out where we're supposed to be. Um, and literally, Kayleen snapped this picture because I leaned over and laid my head down. I fell asleep on my feet. We were exhausted. 16-hour journey through the night. Stopped by the police and held for about 45 minutes. Stopped at a toll gate for about an hour of that time. And it was very frustrating. And I, I was frustrated, but the Lord and his timing is perfect, I believe. And so there's still parts of this I don't understand, but I said, Lord, if you want us a week late, we'll be a week late. Just to give you an idea of what we passed, um, this is coming out of Maputo, the city. Uh, or was this going into, Ma no, this is, yeah. Yeah. So you can kind of see just these little shacks put up where they sell things and um, a lot of, a lot of uh, trash. And God works in those places. So he works through these delays that we didn't like, that frustrated me and made me question whether we'd even be able to pull this off. He also works through broken machines. And so we had uh, this car. It's, a, it's an SUV that belongs to Hope and Healing Africa. It's a great vehicle, and along the way it started making noises that you don't like. Um, and I have a little bit of video. I think that's next. Turn up the volume there, Jerry. It's not diesel. But it sounds like it. Um, that's Bishop Moyani, the Mozambican bishop. He's not a mechanic, but I think he's praying over it right here. This was as far as it got. Um, that noise for you car people, that noise was uh, a bearing going out on the crankshaft. Um, so, you know, it's not just get a spare part and throw it on there. Um, that car's engine is toast. Um, we also had flat tire. So we're plugging the flat tire here. And um, this machine just kind of let us down, which led us to the taxi and other people and... And the Lord knew, and the Lord uh, took care of us. We had our trailer behind this. We had to let the trailer stay behind. We packed everything in that taxi with us, and so we were really cramped. Um, yep, this is trying to figure out, is it in the top of the engine or the bottom of the engine? There's the trailer, and you can see we had so much stuff, we had it strapped on top of the trailer. And uh, just still trying to figure out what are we hearing and is it going to leave us walking? And the answer was yes. So God works through broken machines. So instead of us 
arriving at Beta and having our own vehicle to get back and forth where we needed to go, we waited on drivers. And every morning we got up, we were ready to go, and we waited for our drivers to arrive, take us where we needed to go. And instead of having the freedom to just run and pick up some more medicine, we had to walk. Um, I told JC the story this morning. I needed batteries, double A, triple A. I handed them to Jordan. Jordan asked one of the local guys. He said, oh, you can buy them 200 meters that way. He walked about four miles. Um, 200 meters, I don't think they understood what that meant. But. And then I, I've known this before. Those of you that have been involved with us before when we worked in Joplin and when we worked down in Oklahoma after tornadoes, God can work through natural disaster. I don't think God causes it. So if you say, well, the Lord you know, sent that to do that, I, I, you're going to lose me probably. But God can take the worst of circumstances and do great things. So here's just some things we saw. This is the roof of the church, the main church in Beta, where we had Sunday worship and held clinic. And so you can see that a lot of it is missing. Um, this is us sitting out behind the church. Uh, the black man to my left is Alfredo Savani. Some of you have met Alfredo, and he left our hospital to come up and help us. He and his wife, Julieta, to help us in the clinic. Um, some more of the roof on that church. Three of our churches were damaged, uh, mainly roof damage on those buildings. The parsonages that go with those churches were heavily damaged because they were not built as well. Um, just some scenes from around town. Um, it was hard to find a building that wasn't missing part of its roof or have a new roof on it already. Um, you can see some of the rubble from the flooding. Yeah, it's kind of dark, but underneath that patio uh, where there were tall trees, they've been stripped. This is right out by the beach um, where the cyclone hit. Um, this is one of the fanciest hotels and cafes in town. And we actually went inside and had coffee in this building. And there's a little bit of video. So... Um, you can see that the windows on the front of the building facing the beach are gone, and they've draped these tarps. And we went in and had a cup of coffee after we asked them to give us a tour of the city and show us the damage. Um, and it's significant. Um, while we were there, there was a news release that the mayor of the city of Beta has put together an estimate of $888 million to rebuild everything that's been destroyed. But he does new things. God works not only through difficulties and things that we would not have welcomed, but he does new things as well, and God is developing new young leaders. And I, a couple of these, some of you know. Um, and so, first of all, Jordan. Um, I have been delighted. Jordan came to us because um, in the last year, he expressed uh, a sense of a call to mission work in Africa. He was very specific about that. And he, um, he had dropped out of Central Christian College, so he re-enrolled and changed his major. And they contacted me and said, he wants to do missions. How about having him be an intern with Hope and Healing Africa? I said, that's great. You know, send us an intern. We could use free labor. Um, and the Lord has better plans than that. Uh, so he's been working with me through the year. He has another year to go. He's now a senior at Central and uh, so he'll continue his internship through this next year. 
And we were able to take Jordan with us. I, I told him when this started to germinate, I said, I really want you to go. Let's pray about it. Um, the Great Plains Conference released $5,000 to us to help cover some travel. The Bishop's Relief Fund gave 10000 for supplies, and Hope and Healing Africa was able to raise about $8,000, partly through Jordan. So um, he did really well. Here he is at our main church in Maputo. Um, and so we were able to stop by there and he could see this, um, uh, the largest building we have in the, the country. Um, we asked the bishop, there are now 17,000 free Methodists in Mozambique, in the country. Um, 17,000 people attending free Methodist churches, 6,000 of those are children. So you can tell that this is very young, these are very young congregations. Um, lots of young people. Um, and there are 84 churches in the country. And so this is the largest of those churches. Um, but there are some that come close. The Beta Church is one that comes close in size. Here's Jordan, and we're doing a tour of property. That's one of the parsonages that was damaged. Um, and we're with some of the, our church leaders who are going around, and we're doing uh, some assessments on the buildings. Uh, I'm really thankful for Jordan because Jordan um, has a lot of experience in uh, maintenance of grounds and uh, buildings. So he's worked for the McPherson Parks Department. Now he works for Central Christian College and their maintenance crew. And so he knew right away what we were looking at and um, helped us out in figuring out how to, how to make some of the repairs that were needed. Um, we were able to introduce him to Nelson Mandela before we left South Africa. So uh, we, we did have a great time. I have to tell you, his attitude is amazing. 16 hours in that cab, in that uh, taxi, with Fernando sleeping on top of him, and he never complained. He never complained. And he came away, uh, Jared, I think you're the one that said that it was, it was apparent at conference when he shared that the Spirit of God is at work in this guy's life. And I'm thankful for him. And I think God's going to do some great things to activate he and Audrey. Pray for them. Their first baby arrives in June. So uh, very soon. Um, new leaders, also uh, young leaders, someone you, you guys know very well, but I just want to highlight this to you. Wow! That slide. Did I do it? Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Go back farther. Go back to Linnea. Linnea is the young leader I want to talk about. It's easy for me to talk about my daughter, and I so forgive me. Uh, I love her. I think she's amazing. I know that some of you do too. But um, God is doing some great things in Linnea's life. Keep praying for her. Um, she passed her LPN licensure days before she left. I talked to her this morning. They're back at the hospital. Went to church this morning at Nyloy. She and Katie. Our uh, uh, Bovee are going to spend a few weeks there now working at the hospital. Um, she was really frustrated when she arrived as well. And she shares some of her dad's traits. And so she got really upset at some things that were happening in clinic. And um, the Lord used that, I think, to temper her a little bit. Um, but Linnea's heart for these people is wonderful. And... Um, just a few things that I would share with you. Uh, 
her ability to navigate there is far better than she thinks. Uh, she came to me when she arrived and she goes, my training in nursing in America has given me nothing to work over here. I'm used to using technology, even the ways we make decisions. I can't do anything. I am no good here. And I just interrupted her and I said, hogwash. It is not about what you know in your head. It's about what you have in your heart. And... Um, she went to work in clinic, and after the first day of clinic, she came back and she goes, Dad, we were able to do this. We helped this person with that, and she gave me this blow by blow. And I didn't do this. I didn't say, you see, your dad told you so. I just said, that's great, hon. But um, here she is with Katie and um, another Fernando who helped them in, um, in the pharmacy dispensing meds. Um, in the background is Julieta, Alfredo's wife from our hospital. Um, and then there's another couple that you kind of get to see. Well, that's, that's me tucked in there. We're unpacking. The lady next to me, the young lady next to me is a German doctor. She's a pediatrician. She and her husband are amazing. They've been driving around the world for three years in the same car. They just ship it from continent to continent. They're driving through Africa on their way back to Germany. Um, and uh, her husband, Henry, is an engineer. They contacted me through um, Facebook, and I said, look, if you want to meet us, and they did, and they're amazing. And she worked with us in the clinic, and um, they asked me, they said, are there any free Methodists in Germany? And I go, not yet. Do you want to be the first? <laughs> anyway, uh, so Anna and Henry were a delightful addition to our, our crew um, we had a pediatric station where they saw nothing but children, mostly babies, and then an adult station. And um, in the clinic, uh, I got numbers, final numbers, while I was at an annual conference. Linnea sent me a, a text and said, Dad, we treated 665 people in five days. Uh, for any of you that have done healthcare in the U.S., uh, to do 120 people a day, 115 people a day, that's a pretty heavy load. Um, and they did great. Uh, so proud of Linnea and what they were able to do. Then there was a young man we met by the name of Richard that I want to tell you about real quick. Richard's the guy with the orange shirt on next to me. He's 19 years old. He's the leader of the church's youth in the city of Beta. And this guy speaks excellent English. He, he was the one who told us it was only 200 meters away. We forgive him for that because he helped us so much. He's very soft-spoken, so over and over again I had to ask him to repeat himself. But Richard is a capable guy, and here he is helping us calculate what kind of construction supplies they needed to repair churches. Um, here he is. I told him one of my dreams was to ride in one of these little things. They call him a chopella or a tuk-tuk. Um, it's a little three-wheeler taxi. And so I said to Richard, I'm going back to the church. We didn't have our own vehicle. And uh, I said, I'm going to go in that thing. And he went with me. Um, he is a talented young man. He leads their music ministry. And uh, they were practicing. Turn up the sound. One night. <laughs> See the cell phone flashlights? Um, so Richard, pray for him because um, he's got a tremendous amount of influence there and we're thankful for him. Um, God is also taking Free Methodists into new territory. Uh, we have never had churches in the far north. 
of Mozambique. Uh, it's a long way up there. I told you we, we drove 16 hours. That was from our hospital at Nyaloi, which takes us a while to get to. And so we went a lot farther north. You could drive another 16 hours, you'd still be in the country. If you impose the map of Mozambique over in the United States, if you put the southern point at Houston, Texas, the northern point would go through Wisconsin into Canada. But we met um, Superintendent Ramon Makwakwa, and he's the superintendent of the northernmost churches. And as I asked him, he said, there's two provinces yet where we have no free Methodist churches. And they're the provinces of uh, Cabo Delgado and Nyasa. And these are two provinces that are heavily populated with Muslims. The predominant religion in that area is Islam. And um, in fact, we were woken up in Beta in the morning by the Muslim call to prayer. Um, I'll come back to this picture. Let me go to the video. Turn it up. Can you hear it? This is a Muslim call to prayer. So the mosques have this have these big loudspeakers, and when it's time for prayer, they just get on the loudspeaker and interrupt everybody, even at 5 o'clock in the morning. And um, as I talked to Superintendent Ramon, um, a couple of things. He was, he was a student of the last class my dad taught before retiring, uh, is what he told me. And then he said, pray that the Lord would bring us people who can go into those areas and reach these Muslim people. And I just thought, man, what, what tremendous faith. I want to run back here a minute. And just, Kayleen wasn't in any of the pictures, so here you go, a few pictures of Kayleen. This is Pastor Esther. She's one of our pastors in the capital of Maputo. She helped us get our money. Um, this is the son of our pastor in Beta at the main Beta church, also a woman. Do you remember her name? Anna? I think it was Pastor Anna. And um, he kind of helped us out and ran some errands for us. And then this is Bishop Moyani, a godly man, and I'm really thankful for his leadership there. And I'll go past that. And another new thing that God is doing is medical students. Um, going all the way back to Randy and I, I think our second visit there, we prayed about Mozambican doctors. And um, in the city of Beta, I think this is also part of the Lord's doing, there's a medical school run by the Roman Catholic Church. And a young man who's there, his name is Martins. We met Martins a few years ago at the hospital at Chikuki, the United Methodist Hospital. He was a nurse in the emergency room. He has since left that and was accepted to med school, so he will be a doctor. And... Um, Excuse me. And Martins met us up there. Martins lost everything he owned. He lost his laptop, all of his textbooks, all of that in the cyclone. And one of our other team members from a previous team uh, sent money, and we were able to replace all of those things for him. And so he stayed in med school. But he met us there, and um, he helped us in the clinic as well. And so we were glad to see him. And one of the neat things about Martins is he speaks pretty good English. So we could talk to him in English, and it's really helpful. And I am praying, and here's what I'd like you to pray with me on. I'm praying that when Martins is done with med school, that he'll come to Nyaloi. We already have a relationship with him. He's a tremendous young man. And um, we met two other students there who are free Methodists. One was a young lady who served us lunch, and I talked to her for a while about where she was. She's a second-year med student. And I said, so are you going to come back to Nyaloi? And she goes, well, maybe. 
And I just said, Lord, no, maybe, please um, bring them back. So, um, but we were able to p- provide medicine. Um, this is just a kind of a glance at some of the meds we took. Um, and uh, this is Martins here on the right as we're unpacking meds, and he's going through the Portuguese names and telling us what they are. Um, just a very diligent, gracious young man. So pray for him as well as he makes his way through med school. That's the last of what I had, but here's, here's the application for us. Uh, things don't always work the way we think they would have or should have. But the Lord can use that. And so in your families, in your work, in, your, in our church here, the Lord can do work even when we think things don't go the way they ought to. And, um, and so I'm thankful that God is at work in Mozambique as he is at work in Wichita. And thank you for allowing us to go and spend a couple of weeks there to get this going. And, uh, and we trust that God's going to do great things there. And we're going to continue uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, Mark Waterhouse and Julie Waterhouse, Mark's our pastor in Topeka, along with Curtis Chase, one of their parishioners, they're flying out of Kansas City to go over and work at the hospital for three weeks um, on, on the project with Randy's Memorial, uh, working on the workshop, and Curtis is a nurse, so he'll be working with Linnea and Katie and Alfredo and Juliet in the clinic. Uh, so this is ongoing, and God is doing great things, and he's raising up new young people to do them, and we're thankful for that. So thank you again for allowing us to